And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And welcome to From the Rookery, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Brought to you by The Athletic. It's a it's a parents' evening podcast. We're 13 games into the season, 11 in the league. Uh, and we felt it was about time we had a, a reflection on all the things that we've learnt. Uh, later on, we're going to catch up with our EFL expert friend, Ali Maxwell, uh, to see what's going down in the rest of the league. Plus, we'll see what's going down in and around Vicarage Road uh, during this international break. My name is John. I'm joined by Mike. Uh, good evening, Mr Mooney. I always hated, uh, always hated parents' evening, so I hope the Watford uh, players are feeling suitably nervous as well. <laughs> the tables have turned. <laughs> and the Athletics' Watford FC correspondent, Adam Leventhal. Here! <laughs> <laughs> so, come on, gents. It's, it's been a season so far. Adam, you know, we started with, uh, you know, Middlesbrough win at home, 1-0. We, we, we did beat Oxford in the League Cup, but it took some penalties. And then that draw, 0-0, away at Sheffield Wednesday. What, what, would, what do you take from those games? I think you know when you look at the the opening game, it was it was really just a, a changing of the guard, wasn't it? And they they were quite sort of regimented and they looked quite solid, unspectacular, sort of rusty, but they were effective, I suppose. And then you know kicking on to the Oxford game, it was I suppose it was basically just about Daniel Backman, wasn't it? He was <laughs> he was just the, the hero of the of the piece. Backman returns, and you know he was he was fantastic. And then following on from that was was Sheffield Wednesday and that was a difficult game it was slightly worrying in the first half but then in the second half you know far better and it and it highlighted I think in that early stage that Watford needed a striker and they were they were they were going to have to find some sort of solution until they could find you know the likes of Deeney or Gray or whoever to to come in I think you know they started that game with 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 um, Glenn Murray and it, it just didn't look right. Mike, you know, we, we, we went out of the League Cup next against Newport away. It was a 3-1 defeat. We won at home to Luton Town. And then we lost away at Reading. Well, all, all three of those games, I think, served as as reminders. The first one you mentioned, obviously, Newport reminded us that we're always dreadful in the League Cup. I don't know when we're ever going to have a, a decent run in that. Uh, so let's park that one and never speak of Newport away once and for all. But Mr Parizza... Yeah, yeah. See me after class, um, and and Luton was a was a reminder a that they exist, so a, rem- a reminder of sort of Derby Day, but also I think a reminder as to sort of the framing of behind this football season that it still isn't quite as we'd expect it to be. It's the sort of the Derby that never was really, wasn't it? Now I know Nathan Jones, the Luton boss, alluded to it after the game, sort of saying how it was a bit limp and a bit. And we all laughed at him for that, quite rightly. But it does, you know, it, it did provide us with, with 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 some context to the season. We're still playing with no fans, and it's still pretty odd. So there's that that reminder. And then, of course, the Reading game was a reminder that if you don't score, you're not going to win because we were on top 
weren't we? For what the first twenty-five minutes, half an hour, James Garner hit the hit the uh, the bar with a lovely free with a lovely free kick. We probably should have been ahead. We ended up conceding, and we never got back into the game. So uh, yeah, we needed to remind ourselves to score, and we have now, haven't we? Well, the next two games, Adam, you know, there were wins, and those are lovely things. It was a a one-nil win away at Derby, and then a a three-one home win against Blackburn. And that that must have been uh, on. A, you must have been on a high at that point. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> I mean, it was good. To, it was good to win, and you could focus on on that victory over over Derby. Basically, just about one thing in that game. It, it was pretty. It was a pretty drab affair, and it was all about João Pedro and his sort of. I suppose his, his welcome to England with that with that wonderful goal. Yes, he'd scored against Luton, but this was a belter. This was a you know a bit of samba from the the foot of the Brazilian and and you just thought, right, here we go. And then following up from that against Blackburn, really impressive victory on paper, 3-1. They'd been going great guns having, you know, the most shots in the league, scored the most goals, Armstrong was on fire and all this sort of stuff. And Watford, they weren't very good, but they were <laughs> ruthless. And the Blackburn game was sort of more like akin to Roy Walker, who used to host Catchphrase. It, it was good, but it wasn't right. That was that was basically the sort of the upshot of the Blackburn game because it, it could have been so different. There was that penalty save, of course, from from Foster as well. So yes, it looked great, and it was all razzmatazz, and yeah, back to back wins and everything. But you still knew that there was still plenty of work to be done. And the next game, Michael, we our friends joined us at Vicarage Road. It was a draw against mm. Bournemouth, and then we went away to the newly promoted Wickham and we got a draw and then we lost away at Barnsley. I don't know why particularly I gave you those games to talk about, Mike, but uh, what what, what about those? Where were we at that point in the season? Here you go, misery guts. Talk about these three miserable games. (laughs) Fill your your boots. Christmas has come early for old uh, Grinchy boy over here. But yeah, I think the the Bournemouth game is a bit down, a bit more coming back down to earth after the the Blackburn game where finally we sort of seem to have shaken off the non-goal scoring shackles and ultimately we rued our inability to score more than one, didn't we, with Bournemouth equalising in the the 96 Minute. It's funny. I was talking, I'm not. Won't name them. There were a couple of journalists. They'll know who they were. Sat in the press box uh, that afternoon, saying, "Oh, you know, it's uh, it's been seven or eight years until uh, since uh, the home team has ever won this fixture." And I gave them the evils. Uh, said these games are never over till they're over. Thirty seconds later, it was one all, and it was over. And then Wickham. Yeah, I think that felt like a real potentially to me um, and maybe some others a bit of a wake-up call I'd had a bit, bit more faith in the in the squad up until that point and then they sort of felt like really they turned up at Adams Park that Tuesday night probably expecting to win and turned in a pretty average if we're being uh, if we're being generous performance against a very spirited Wickham side it must be said Wickham who have since turned the corner they played well but Watford really really didn't and then the next week talking about sort of goal, lamenting our goal scoring opportunities or or chances not a shot on target away uh, at Barnsley. A slight, a slight sort of red herring because, of course, uh, Ben Wilmot did hit the bar with a header. But yeah, those sort of trio. It was a, it was a tough, tough three, a hat trick of games, wasn't it? And I think that was the first time that sort of people started to feel a little bit grumbly about about the, the, the direction we were going in. So yeah, a little, not much fun to be had over the, the course of those three games, really. Okay, we've got to finish this little review <laughs> on a high. Surely, surely, Adam, it was a three-two. <laughs> Win against Stoke, and it was a three-two win against Coventry. We must have finished that in your eyes on a high. I think we did. 
Yes, I, I think that there was a lot of positivity heading into the international break, which, as we've mentioned previously on uh, on podcasts, is always good if you're a head coach at Watford um, <laughs> to, to have a little bit of, a, of of momentum heading into the uh, the international break. I mean, they were they were pressure pre international break matches, weren't they? And and I wrote that article um, for the Athletic at the time, basically, you know, highlighting the fact that you have to only judge Vladimir Ivic on his team and the performances when he has his squad um, fully fit and he has everyone available. In these games, they showed character with the players that were on the field, but they also had characters returning as well. And I think that that just gave you a glimpse into what can now happen in the run-up to, to Christmas. And the expectation is that they can now build on those two games. They were balmy games, you know, 30 yard headers and and going behind and all this sort of stuff but they dug in they won pretty ugly but they also just had that little sprinkling of quality to win games late on and that's that's going to be really important uh, in this next run of games if you had to give a grade to the team and vlad mike what are you going to give them as a grade on these first 13 games well Football is a results business, Brian, and Watford are sitting pretty, not not comfortably, that it's all bunched up behind them, as you'd expect in the, in the Championship. But if the season was to end now, we'd be promoted in second place. So bearing in mind all the nonsense that's gone around about the season there, the transition from Premier League to Championship, no crowds, uh, the elongated transfer window, to be in second at this international break is pretty, pretty good. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to go with a solid B, I was, I was going to say a B minus to give them more reason, more sort of wiggle room for improvement, but um, I don't want to have a minus. I've done my negativity for this bit, so just a, a solid B. But I think this squad, you can get an A plus. So it's not must try harder, but do try harder. <laughs> Adam, are you going to disagree with that? Are you going to be a bit more positive, or even maybe a bit more negative? It's it's difficult, isn't it, to to sort of separate the two things because if you look at it on paper, a kid going in to uh, exam halls and doing very, very well in exams, that's exactly what they're doing. But being a student isn't just about doing well in exams. You want to be able to be the, the, the complete character and also deal with setbacks and things like that. So I would say, ooh, I'm going to give them, I, I, at this point, everyone involved, I'm going to give, I'm going to give them an A minus because in the circumstances, they yeah. have done very very well but there is still more to come but it also highlights the fact that they have to keep those standards high they can't uh, drop off they can't get complacent don't start sit at the don't start sitting at the back and messing around with the with the cool kids stay at the front look at the board put your hand up first 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 of all and answer the questions don't be too proud i want to see you doing well um, and I'm fully immersed now as a teacher. We've got this analogy going brilliantly, lads. Well done. <laughs> yes, we, we really have. Um, but yeah, you know, A minus, but but room for improvement. And I, I, I'm I'm very happy with with how you're doing. And your parents should be very happy with with you as well. Yeah. Where Watford have got an A plus though is giving the kids a chance. 
Duxbury, we did speak after the the fans forum, didn't we? Where where Scott Duxbury had alluded to the fact that that Watford were going to try and reinvigorate their sort of youth policy and and make make the most of uh, of younger talent. And and well, the the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and the eating is rather tasty. Matt Furness of uh, uh, Opta Joe fame shared a graphic which said that Watford are top of the top of the pile when it comes to minutes given to under twenty one players with two thousand eight hundred and 19 minutes, using a total of six different under-21 players throughout the course of the season so far. As supporters who are trying to attach ourselves to this side, which is difficult when we're not able to get to all the games, uh, and after a rather bruising encounter last year where we felt that the the players didn't necessarily cover themselves or or our club in glory, I think seeing youth come through gives us a bit more of an identity and to have see that borne out in those those statistics I think is is quite rewarding. So yeah, very, very big green tick and a an A plus for, for Vladimirovic and I guess to the wider Watford world for 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 pulling together a squad who is able to perform so regularly uh, in the championship as, as under twenty one players. So an all round uh, pat on the back there and uh, yeah it's pretty it's, it, I was quite got that warm fuzzy feeling when uh, uh, when I saw that stat uh, shared by by Matt. I think it's it's really good. So we're putting a, we're putting a stamp in the book but we're not quite putting a sticky gold star. <laughs> what is it you still want to know about them though? What, what are the unanswered questions? You know, we're not to, we wouldn't know all the answers by now. I would never expect that. But but Adam, in terms of the management, in terms of of Vlad, you know, the, the piece you wrote was, you know, we can't judge him fully yet. What do you want to still find out about him as a coach? I think there's a lot of things that that we will find out, and and first and foremost, ensuring that he's rewarded with with faith. I think he's won the trust of the of the hierarchy, as I understand it. I think that you know there have been a few sort of bumps in the road, you know, in terms of what what was being seen and what was being done, and maybe just getting a little bit worried. But then you know they would look on paper and go. Well, you know, we're still in the playoff places. There's no need to rock the boat. I think we're I think we're doing okay. So let's not panic too much. Someone's learning, a new head coach is learning in difficult circumstances. And, you know, I think that there are some some positive signs here. So, you know, the, the faith side of things is, is very important. And I would only highlight that. And people that maybe aren't Watford fans that are listening, don't know what you're doing, but but <laughs> if you are listening. You know, they might be thinking, how could you even be talking about questioning a manager that is second in the table? But this is Watford and we, we know what we know what happens. And, you know, faith is is sometimes very, very difficult to find. We will learn more about his his evolution in terms of the formations that he wants to play once he gets more personnel available. I think we will see the, the confidence of the back line improve as they play together more. And I think as that confidence does improve, that may well then lead to that change in formation happening with a little bit more confidence. Maybe we'll see four at the back and maybe we'll see becoming a 4-3-3, for example. Obviously, there's the elements that are uncertain in terms of of transfers and whether Adam Messina, who seems to be making good progress, but I, I still think he's, you know, a fair amount of time away from being available and being fit and raring to go for the team. So the the left back issue is still going to sort of be lingering around. But just as long as Ken Semmer stays fit and as much of an influence, then I think that that's really that's really positive. But I think that for Ivic in particular, now that he will have his his strongest assets available on the whole, finding that right combination throughout the side from you know from back to front. Now that he's got his strikers available. And, you know, being able to put out a front three 
or putting out a, a partnership. He's got so many options. He's actually got a lot of opportunities to do things that he hasn't been able to do up until this point. And this international break has come at a good time and he will be able to be more expansive now. And it'll be interesting to see how he sort of, you know, it's almost, he's like a bit like a rocking chair and he's been pushing it back on his, on his, on his feet. He's been holding it back, but now he can let it rock a bit and let's see how we go. You know, let's see how we roll and hopefully we can be a little bit more of a, um, an interesting force going forward with, with some more senior players up front. So it's all about evolution and kicking on from a solid foundation for, for Ivic, for me. But Ivic is fine, uh, uh, Mike. That's that's a big part of it, of course. But, you know, we, we were in flux so much about this squad. And we didn't know who was going to be in this squad. Uh, what what was we made out of? How many old boys from last year um, were going to be part of it? Now we know what it's been made, out, made up of. Are you happy with it? What questions do you have about the squad? The question for me is, can they find that that balance? Because we talked about that, that that run through of the game so far. We went from not scoring enough goals and being very tight defensively to scoring, uh, so you know, some rip roaring games against Stoke and Coventry latterly, where we've scored three twice in a row, but also conceded, conceded early against Stoke, conceded some random ones against Cov. So it's about getting somewhere in the middle I think of that of the the performances we've seen so far and what what I've really enjoyed watching so far is you know we've used the word evolution and and the players I think are learning and developing and learning how to play better in this this division I think uh, we've seen Ishmael Star come into his own in terms of what he creates Ken Semmer has shown how what what he can deliver in this in this division and I think we're just slowly but surely looking like we're finding our feet quite quite nicely so I do have this as you know this innate sort of pessimism and I do wonder what what the January transfer window will bring because what are we halfway through November? It's six weeks and we'll be we'll be into that transfer window. We'll we'll side sort of sort of start pecking around us for our, our leading lights again. We'll we'll have to wait and see. The hope is of course that we're safely ensconced up the top and and they'll be they'll be committed to taking us up by then. But I've really liked how the players have grown into it. And they they just look like they're becoming attuned to their job and and they're delivering more and more and more with, with, with each game. But I would like to see just that that balance. I mentioned it after I think it was after the Coventry game. Their reaction to adversity needs to be a little bit better. They still feel a little bit wet behind the ears, a bit young, if you like, in in terms of a a bit green. Uh, and with the games, you know, we've had this international break. We've all been relaxed, not not having to worry about Watford. But now the games are coming thick and fast again and stuff will happen there will be odd red cards there will be injuries um we've seen uh, decisions go for us and against us already this season it's bound to happen in this in this frenetic period leading up to up to the festive period we have to be able to deal better with with adversity when things aren't going well i'm going to be watching with a with a very very keen eye to see how we react to that because we've obviously got the the skill and tools to do it but some of the experienced heads slightly more tainted by relegation. Some of the younger guys slightly inexperienced and, and not as good as, you know, haven't got that, that, that sort of knowledge to, to fall back on and to, to tell themselves, right, come on, it's not going for up for us now, but we can turn it around if we just stick to our game plan. So lots to work at and lots of moving parts as ever to, to fall into place if this is going to be a, the, the, the memorable season that we hope it can be. But more positive signs than negative ones certainly I love the fact that we're starting to score goals yeah there's starting to be a lot to lot to enjoy about this team I just hope they get that that balance right because there's not going to be much room for for error as we uh, as we move on I was you know wasn't sure like in terms of the season 
where we were, where we sh- at least where we should be. And I, I had to go back and look at the 14-15 promotion season to see where we are in comparison. You couldn't look at the dates. You couldn't say it's mid-November because the season started late. So I went through and I found out that our record for the first 11 games of the season is exactly the same. Six wins, two losses, three draws. Thank goodness we were on course to get second place in the league. That's what I had in my head, at least. Hmm. Oh, and the other thing I noticed is that the next game against QPR is the equivalent of having Slav's very first game when he was in charge. So imagine all the turmoil we've, we would have had already <laughs> in that season. And, it, and in comparison, it's nothing compared to where we are now. So it, it does feel like we're in a healthier place. But do you think, though, Adam, if we keep a fully fit squad, do you think physically and mentally... We're guaranteed to go up. <laughs> oh, God. Um, that's a wretched question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but no, no, of course not. We're not guaranteed to go up. We should have the confidence that we can. If Vladimir Ivich's start is anything to go by and his sort of quiet, calm confidence is anything to go by and the player's sort of learning about him as we've mentioned and how he sort of how he does things and the fact that he's survived you know two international breaks and he's got the team into second place in the league then this is the beginning so we should only improve and the players should only improve their fitness will improve their confidence will improve their motivation will become even greater because they will be closer to the to the promised land and let's not make any bones about it look every player on a sporting plane wants to play in the top division because of their professionalism they also want to earn more money which is a big motivating factor for everyone in society especially now so if they are to get promoted they will be earning more money and they will be happy it's all there for them to do there's no point dropping off there's no point getting in a huff about anything if you play well you'll stay in the team and then come next summer you'll be earning more money because you'll be back in the premier league just go out and do it because you've Mm. got enough quality and you know there'll be other teams that will be as hungry maybe even hungrier at times than Watford fine but there is quality within this squad and there shouldn't really be any excuses and this isn't us putting pressure on on someone like Vladimir Ivich, who doesn't know this already. He knew right from the start that automatic promotion is the target. He's set his sights on automatic promotion. So we should just listen to him, trust him and trust the hierarchy. If this all continues that, you know, they've done well and they've got the right guy in there. So, you know, it, it's at the moment on the verge of football starting again and twisting our melons and making us absolutely crackers, everything's looking positive. As a supporter, I think it is interesting to look at that that season and, and use it as some sort of context for, for, the, for this championship campaign. Yeah. Because and, and as supporters, we need to remember that it isn't going to be um, all plain sailing. I would say that, wouldn't I? Negative Nelly. But if you look at, look at what happened, sort of four games into... Slav's reign, which we all remember incredibly fondly, uh, John. So in, so interesting that you mentioned that ter- the turmoil and tumult of that the the opening to that season. No one really remembers it, do they? Everyone remembers the sort of free flowing football and the excitement. But four after four games um, of of Slav's reign, we lost five of the next nine, 
um, and still went on to, to really, we should have won the championship, but, you know, still went on to have one of the most memorable seasons in our, in our, in our Watford supporting history. So I think as supporters, it's, it's instructive to look back at that and to remind ourselves that there will be ups and downs. And when I mentioned that little mini clutch of three games when it, when it felt a little bit grim, the Bournemouth, uh, Wickham and, and Barnsley games, which, which didn't go the way we hoped. That's the way it's going to be. And yeah, five and nine we lost about this time of year in 14-15. So just a little reminder to ourselves that, as Adam rightly says, this team is good enough to go up. There's no two ways about it. They should be challenging for one of the two top spots to come the end of the season. There's no two ways about it. That's the that's the aim. But there will be ups. There will be downs. There will be defeats. We'll lose games we should win and so on and so forth. So I think just as supporters, it's worth remem- remembering and looking back from time to time at that season just to, as a little bit of context. It's never, never that easy. And you know, we've got rose-tinted glasses about that season already. It was only, what, five five or six seasons ago. But, but yes, perhaps a little reminder from time to time as to what, what the reality of that year was like is is helpful. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Before the start of the season, when the Championship just seemed quite alien to us, we did a podcast to pick the brains of Ali Maxwell. He's the host of the Not The Top 20 podcast uh, and the Thursday edition of The Athletic's very own Totally Football League show. And he's a bit of an expert when it comes to all things EFL and the Championship. You might have seen him on Sky Sports EFL coverage. We wanted to find out from his point of view how the rest of the league is shaping up. And Mike, when he caught up with Ali early in the week, had to pick Ali up on his comment from last time about how he felt that this was a good season to be relegated into the Championship. Yeah, I did think that. And, and it wasn't anything to do with Watford or with Norwich or with Bournemouth and with the relegated Premier League sides from the perspective of the Championship. When you're covering the Championship, you're always interested to see what state these teams are coming down in. But I think we felt that the teams that were already in the Championship, the teams that you might be competing with uh, towards the top of the table, many of them didn't look like they'd made the sort of strides that they might have needed to make to go from, let's say, a beaten playoff side or uh, an upper mid-table side to challenge towards the top of the league. And it's still early days, isn't it? And, you know, there's six points between the top 11 sides. So we're at the stage of the season still where actually you shouldn't really mention league position at all because it doesn't really have any bearing. You know, well, now is... Watford are safely in second, Ali. We're not allowed to, to mention the league table. We've had a season of being bottom, now we're second and you don't even want us to mention it. Well, it just, you know, be, being second at this stage when it's so bunched up, just it just means a little bit less than being second in another 11 games time where things will have spread out a little bit. But I guess, I guess yeah, just to pick up on, on what you've asked there, it feels like we were probably fair to say it was a good year to come down clearly that's easy to say with Watford Norwich and Bournemouth in the top group uh second third and fourth if you want the league positions but you know all very close to the top and having started pretty well uh, in different ways all three of those but also the sides that it looks like you're challenging with for the title well Brentford have been a little slow we thought they might mm. kick on and, and be up there I still think they they look like a good solid team but there's nothing to suggest they are no, any better than last season. I think Reading obviously came out very quickly. I know you guys suffered at the hands of Reading. We're probably frustrated with that uh, game. Many teams that Reading beat early in the season didn't necessarily feel like they'd been beaten by the better side. And of course, they've managed to lose three in a row and, and still be at the top of the league, which speaks to how hot their start was. But I don't think it looks robust as a title contender, uh, Reading 
this stage. Bristol City started well as well, but are probably just cooling down a little bit. I'd say Swansea uh, are probably the side, to my eyes, that look the most impressive, just in general. Good going forward. They create plenty of chances. They've got different ways of hurting teams. And at the back, they look very, very solid. I think they started the season with four clean sheets. Uh, and then Middlesbrough under Warnock are just this absolute machine. I mean, you <laughs> guys playing them on opening day, it looks like that was the best time you could possibly have wanted to play them because since then, they've barely conceded a goal. I mean, the goal you scored against them was from a set piece. Um, they've barely faced any shots and they're not, the most wonderful attacking side and that's why they've drawn six of their 11 but it's hard to imagine they won't be at least challenging for the playoffs but I, I, I'm pretty confident in saying at this stage maybe more confident than some that Watford and Norwich and Bournemouth I would say at the very least will all be a part of the top six come the end of the season. It's been difficult as a, as a Watford supporter and as a keen observer to really get a handle on how well Watford have, have performed. And I know we've we kind of jokingly spoken about Watford being second and obviously we're not going to argue with that. But you're right, it is very early and, and certainly too early to get too carried away. But the, the, it's, been, it's been a real roller coaster almost already for, for Watford mm. supporters. There's been a little bit of sort of um, frustration of some of the performances yet. Yet here we are sitting pretty on 21 points. As someone who um, observes the Champions with a um, with a more uh, neutral eye, uh, <laughs> Ali. How would you say, in your eyes, Watford have, have performed so far? What, what have you? What have been your takeaways from the from the first eleven games for, from Vladimir Ivic's Hornets? A funny one, difficult to get a handle <laughs> yeah. on. I think I'm glad it's I not just like, us, like you guys. No, not at all. We, we've spoken about it on our own podcast. And uh, what's been slightly strange is. The, the sort of two halves of the season already. Mm. I mean, it, it's no secret that in, in, the, in those first five games, I think you only conceded one goal. Uh, that was against Reading. You know, it was, it was a bit of poor defending, but generally the defence looked pretty secure, didn't it? And fostering good form behind them. And, and there was a, a couple of flashes of brilliance going forward. We were told that when players, certain players in the midfield and, and up top would return, then Watford would, would morph into this much better attacking side. And the potential for that on top of what looked like a really solid defensive structure was quite exciting. And it, it's funny because you've won games 3-2 and 3-2 against Stoke and Coventry and I've left not being that convinced by the performance and a bit confused at how open these games have become and, and how uh, and how sort of slightly suspect Watford have looked defensively but of course it's hard not to be pretty excited by the recent form of Saar who you know looks mm. every bit as good as we were promised uh, the, the, those that had watched him closely in the Premier League who just couldn't really believe that this was a player that would be playing in the in the second tier of any football pyramid so I, I'd actually say the last few performances I haven't been that impressed by the performances so I'm kind of looking forward to again seeing how things progress when Kapu is settled, when Hughes is back and, and, and just seeing how he uses the players that will return. Obviously, our first experience of João Pedro in the, in the first few weeks of the season was a striker who maybe didn't always look that comfortable up front on his own, but who was good enough to provide moments of brilliance to win games, not just in the goals he scored, but in some incredible link-up play. But I gather he's going to be moved maybe out wide and, uh, and potentially Dini through the middle. So mm. I, I, I basically... I've no idea what's going to happen from here. <laughs> I was probably more impressed with Watford through five or six games than I am through 11 games. But I, I definitely understand why there's a certain feeling that once certain players come back who should be too good for the level, Watford will be fine. And the best thing is, after all that rambling, the best part of Watford at the moment is your points tally. 
is 21 points from 11 games. You know, you can question the performances. You can say you haven't been fully convinced, um, but it's a hell of a platform to build on. And if you are going to get better, then you're likely to be promoted automatically. It's it's looking good, admittedly. Do, do you think, um, Ali, that this is perhaps a bit of, are we seeing a bit of real-time evolution at, at Watford with, with Vladimirovic coming to terms with what's needed in the in the championship? Obviously, you know, it's we know what the division is like. It's incredibly competitive from top to bottom, really, mm. um, regardless of, of form. I know it's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. Do you think he's having to evolve quite quickly on the job? And, and that's why we've seen quite a big swing from that sort of miserly defence from the first five or, or so games to the to the slightly more more open games we've seen mm. in the last couple of games and is is that a, a hallmark of, of a successful championship side do you think I could understand why Ivic built from the back that's what it felt like he was doing but I wouldn't necessarily say in the recent performances like even with more goals being scored three against Blackburn three against Stoke three against Coventry it hasn't necessarily felt like Watford are going way more attacking and that's why they're conceding Mm. more chances if you know what I mean so you know it hasn't been many games so you can't really make sweeping statements but yeah I I I mean look we've been told since the beginning that he wanted to well he's had success previously playing a a sort of 4-2-3-1 not playing a, a five at the back system with a ton of central midfield players which is kind of how you started the campaign I would be surprised if any team coming down from the Premier League with so much talent uh, all over the pitch would play in that style anyway. So I'm not surprised to see him evolving and planning to evolve. I don't think you can just say like, oh, we're evolving. So obviously we'll, <laughs> you know, we're going to, we, we, we'll give up some defensive prowess. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think you can, you know, a good team at this level can be very good going forward and can be perfectly good defensively. I think it's, it's a, I personally think, it's necessary. I think Watford need to be a bit more expansive, partly because we've seen a real drop off in goals in the championship mm. across uh, the whole league this season. And we've been scratching our head as to, you know, is it something to do with there being no fans? Well, no, because it's been the opposite in the Premier League, hasn't it? And League One and League Two don't seem affected. And we've basically come to the conclusion that it's, for the most part, a group of managers, most of whom are better at setting up defensively than they are setting up teams who can create a ton of chances. And also the quick turnaround in games means there's less time on the training field to sort of work on really good attacking processes, if you want, uh, and also in planning for the next opposition. You know, you've only got three days to plan, and so maybe you can't do anything too intricate. And so teams are just sort of setting up offensives first, try and keep the opposition at bay and see what happens. I think that's what we're putting the low goal scoring numbers down to. But it makes me feel that actually there's more value in being a good attacking side than there is on focusing on just being another good defensive side. Because if you can be the team that has a way of creating consistent chances and players like Sarr and João Pedro and Hughes are going to be a great start for that, then you're probably going to be in quite good nick because you can get past the teams who defend deep, but they're not going to cause you many problems because they're no great shakes going forward. Now, you mentioned them briefly, uh, our brothers in in relegation, Norwich and Bournemouth. They're tucked in just behind us in third and fourth, as you mentioned. Just sort of briefly, um, Ali, how are those guys looking in in comparison to Watford, would you say? Because, you know, we don't get match of the day. We don't get as much in-depth detail on those guys. How are are they faring uh, compared to, to Watford? Yeah, I think you guys started better i would say just based on let's say the last month or so i would say those guys those teams have probably been playing slightly better and of course you you've 
picked up almost the exact same amount of points, 21 as well for Norwich and 20 for Bournemouth. Bournemouth's one defeat, a bit like yours, was just one of those where you're frustrated with the performance, but you also feel a little bit hard done by, I think. Mm. They lost to Sheffield Wednesday and it was a game where the referee gave a penalty and a red card for for basically a 50-50 sort of coming together. So um, that was kind of tough. They've taken a while to click going forward as well, a little like yourselves, and they've kind of lent on bits of individual quality from Dan Juma, who is, I guess, their equivalent to Saar in a way. Not as well known in Premier League le- in Premier League terms because he was injured for much of last season, but a bloke who's got caps for the Netherlands, aged just 23, and he's, he's pretty special. And yeah. then Norwich, uh, again, some of their players, like your guys, didn't start the season. The likes of Buendia weren't really playing, weren't really involved. Cantwell as well. You know, those are the things that you see when teams come down from the Premier League and the transfer window is still open and there's loads of speculation and they've got their agents in their ear. But they're also benefiting from just settling down a little bit, the window having closed, keeping some fantastic players for the level who have done it here before, uh, specifically Buendia I'm thinking of here. But even some of their guys who who kind of fell out of favour because they weren't good enough for the Premier League. I'm thinking of someone like Steeperman, who we know is actually pretty good at this level. So I'd say Norwich have looked pretty good in the last few weeks. They do tend to leave it very late. They score, like every single goal they score seems to be in the last 15 minutes of games. <laughs> so there's part of me that thinks that's kind of lucky and they shouldn't rely on that. But I also think they play this like really patient possession style Uh you have to concentrate so hard when you play against Norwich because they've got so many different ways of hurting you and they hold the ball for so long. So I think they are wearing teams out a little bit. So, mm. I mean, honestly, I can't I can't put much between the three sides at the moment. I think Watford started a bit better. I'd say the other sides have been a tiny bit better in the last few games, but we've still got 35 games to go and I'm feeling pretty positive for all three sides. Obviously, only two can be in the automatic promotion places. I... I I'm not sure who else will be punching their way in at this stage unless Brentford really pick up, unless Swansea can start finishing their chances a bit more. So it, I'm sort of, I guess, like reserved optimism for all three sides <laughs> at the moment. Watford face uh, QPR next, Ali. And Watford have laboured really against, well, the bottom three. Derby, they nicked a 1-0 win. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday and Wickham, they, they got draws. Uh, mm. Coventry down the bottom and we made heavy weather of that. So QPR and, and another team struggling. There's sort of a bit of an indifferent start. No surprise, unfortunately, to long, <laughs> long-suffering QPR fans, I guess. But what could, what can Watford expect from their trip to, to QPR? And, and, and from what you've seen of Watford, Ali, why, why do you think Watford are making such heavy weather against supposedly inferior teams, especially when we've, we've spoken at length about the quality in Watford squad? I think there's just still a long way to go for if you if you just take out the names, if you take out the individual players and even I know it sounds ridiculous because it's not this isn't what football is. But if you were just to take out the in the, the bits, the goals that you've scored that are just clearly from an amazing bit of play mm. from maybe from Saar or maybe from Semmer, who I've absolutely loved this. Yes, season. King Ken. You know, it sounds ridiculous, but if you were to take those moments out, are you looking at a team who looks particularly confident and fluent going forward, who who look like they really understand how they go about moving the ball forward, getting into dangerous areas and creating chances? And I, that's what I haven't necessarily seen consistently fr- from Watford so far. So maybe that's a problem when you come up against a side who is clearly going to enter that game with the objective of getting a point, of, mm. of essentially playing for a nil-nil um, when you're down there and you're up against a side like Watford that's probably going to be the the mindset and, and maybe that's more of a problem than when a team thinks they have a chance and actually would 
rather play their own game. Maybe there's a bit more space for, for Watford to play into. What I would say about QPR is that I don't think they are capable of setting up defensively and seeing out a nil-all draw. So that's good Perfect. news for Watford. Perfect. Bring I'm, af- it on. I'm afraid that... <laughs> I'm afraid that both Mark Warburton as a manager, who I've got a lot of respect for the way he sees football and the way his teams play, but I've never been convinced by his teams defensively. And I'm afraid the personnel at the back for them, including a a player called Barbe, who used to play for Brentford, who uh, is a a very handsome French man with a lovely left foot, but is not (laughs) a particularly good defender. Uh, And even Dickie, the other centre-back, who stepped up from League One, he can get turned. He's not very quick. And I think there could be some joy for Watford. So um, that's not to say that they, you know, the, the flip side of that is they will have a good go. And I wouldn't be surprised if they cause some problems. They've got a few tricky attacking players. Uh, Ilias Chair is diminutive number 10 with a rocket long shot. They've got Dykes, the Scottish striker, who was so good in their playoff game the other day. He's sort of six foot four and he'll bang around some of those centre-backs and, and test them out. Uh, and if they've got, a say, Samuel on the pitch, who's really their, their star, but who's having some contract dispute at the moment, so hasn't been playing. But he's a sort of proper dribbling winger who can, who can take players on and cause problems. So, uh, you know, from my point of view, it's a good thing for Watford. I don't think QPR have it in them to to really knuckle down and, and, and sort of frustrate youth for 90 minutes and leave with a nil-nil. So I'm hoping for another high-scoring game, another entertaining game, and I'm hoping to see some good attacking play from uh, from the Hornets. So it sounds like over 4.5 goals is the bet yet again <laughs> for a game featuring Watford. Just finally, Ali, before we wrap up, it's nice that not to have Watford in this little part of the, the conversation. There have been sackings already in the Championship. Uh, Forest, Sheffield Wednesday, Derby, all parted ways with their with their manager any any big surprises there and and do you th- and do you think that uh, a change at any of those clubs is going to going to uh, mean immediate change in results some surprises for sure the, the Barnsley manager that left left for what he considered to be a better role he wasn't sacked and you know as you guys know having supposedly reportedly been been in for him when you were going through your own recruitment mm. process he's kind of highly rated and he had left a good job in Austria to move to Barnsley and reading between the lines it, it sort of felt like that was for his own sort of career progression purposes thinking to himself well even if I'm leaving the Austrian top flight might I have more eyes on me if I do well in the championship probably uh, and that's led to a better job for him so the the, the thing about Barnsley is they always recruit the same sort of manager who plays the, the same sort of style of football. So it shouldn't rock the boat too much, even if he was seemingly a pretty good manager. And they've they've started pretty well under the new guy with three wins in four. So uh, I, I think Barnsley, who are 16th at the moment, I don't see them as relegation fodder, but they've got such a young squad that, you know, when, when the going gets tough and if they go on a bad run of form, you could see there maybe being some problems there. I mean, the big surprise is, is obviously Koku at Derby because he came with such pedigree, not, not just as a player, but, you know, the guy won multiple multiple titles in Holland with PSV and he always carried himself like someone who knew an awful lot about the game and and sort of almost led by the career that he'd had rather than being you know he, he I don't get the feeling he was much of a motivator mm. and he, he clearly thought very deeply about the game but maybe was struggling to get his ideas across and when the when the form got bad it just seemed like he had no recourse for, for turning it around he had no idea how to you know put tactics aside, put whatever, you know, put the put the preparation aside. It didn't look like he really knew how to manage that group of players and turn it around. And maybe you could say the same for Lamucci at Nottingham Forest. I feel a little bit bad for, for anyone who 
who you know had such a tough end to last season and then although was sort of seemingly backed I just think that the high churn the, the turnover in the summer and all these new players being flung at you from uh, from all parts of the world I'm just not sure it's, it's that helpful uh, even if some of them seemingly have some pedigree so you know I'm, I wasn't too surprised because Forrest they're, they're, they're not you know they're not the most patient owners in the world and uh, Sheffield Wednesday yeah not hugely surprised to be honest again that doesn't necessarily surprise me that their owner would would slightly panic given their position uh, and given their defeats to teams like Wickham and Rotherham who they're sort of battling for for survival with um yeah people have their own thoughts on Tony Pulis I'm 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 more confident than I was last week that Sheffield Wednesday will survive don't necessarily feel that confident that it's a good long-term fit for them but if the objective is purely survival this season then uh, it's probably a good decision well, Vladimir Ivic still safely in post at Watford for now. So just to, to wrap up, um, Ali, we'll put you on the spot if you can. We, we're using this as a sort of report card style mm-hmm. podcast. So you're the teacher, Mr. Maxwell, I'll call you you now. And we need a one line um, summing up of, of Watford and perhaps a, a grade for Vladimir Ivic so far this season. I'd like to see a little more, but the foundations are there. Absolutely love Ken Semmer and I'll give Ivic a B. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, guys. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. You can catch Ali on several of The Athletic podcasts, including Zonal Marking, where he hosts alongside Michael Cox, the tactical genius when it comes to uh, sports writing, as well as the Thursday edition of the Totally Football League show. And as well as those two podcasts and from the Rookery you can get them absolutely ad-free via The Athletic app, and website. To do that, you have to get a subscription, and at the moment, it only costs you £1 a week. And to get that, you must go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. By going there, you'll get a fantastic access to all the brilliant sports writing from The Athletic, and you also make us look quite good. So thank you if you do that, theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Let's wrap up things uh, with some any other business. Adam, Mr. Ben Foster, what a YouTube star he is. Um, he's got a pretty face. I don't. I'm never going to have a YouTube channel. Uh, but he's doing all right. But he, he almost got in some trouble, didn't he? Yeah, I, it was interesting because, you know, this has sort of been bubbling around for, for a while. It was something that I thought about when it first started happening, um, when he was putting his GoPro in the back of the goal. And first things first, let's highlight, the you know, these videos on um, the Cycling GK, which is Ben Foster's YouTube channel, are brilliant. They're really entertaining. They give a great insight. It's something extra for fans to enjoy at the moment, and I really, really like them. And I, I found in particular the footage in the goal. I, I, I was interacting with someone on, on, on The Athletic, and they put a comment and said, oh, I actually find them quite boring, That those bits of, of the videos, the, the, the GoPro stuff. And... Uh, fair enough that's 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 that person's view however i find them really interesting for the for the audio that you pick up and you know some of the little exchanges that ben foster has obviously with his defenders but also with you know opposition players when armstrong missed that penalty you know he first went up to him after the game and said that there was almost like a little trigger that he could tell that he was going to go a certain way and he told him about it i was like don't tell him now wait until until after yeah yeah, exactly till till the away game but no i just loved that and it it was that 
there are some really lovely things that come through in in that video and mainly it's it's that you know he's, he's a good guy ben foster and and he's enjoying his life and and that's that that's great to see but obviously the the sort of licensing issue which has been highlighted that hopefully he's gonna sort of sign and seal very very soon with the efl because you can't use footage of efl matches on YouTube without written permission and that's what he's been doing but instead of telling him to take them down and you know causing a bit of a rumpus at this time of of of, of our lives and and you know a difficult period they've come to a sort of a good conclusion that he is still going to have to sign a licensing agreement but that that money will be going to the mind charity which is the official charity of the of the football league which is it, it all sort of feeds into the right places really i think it's it all makes sense because if you think about what ben foster is doing with these videos he's he's trying to benefit people who aren't able to get to games bringing them closer to the action and you know mine's policy is to obviously help people who are struggling with with mental health issues but also just making sure that you're reaching out to to people at this time when you're not having face-to-face -face contact and they and it's in line with one of the initiatives that mind has which is have your mates back which is basically you know checking in with your friends um and i know a lot of the you know the the watford youtube channels and um you know fan sites and things like that have been saying look our dms are open get in touch you know and that's that's great you know that the, the community as we know you know watford is excellent uh, in terms of that especially the club and all the you know the 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 calls that they're making to people so it all sort of it all fits together um but i i did actually quite enjoy looking into the sort of the little details of of sort of um the the rulings that the efl have and also the money that is paid by sky to actually have these rights in the first place so the so the efl can't just be going oh yeah go on then you can use that you can use that footage for free there has to there are some sort of politics involved in this situation and maybe it's that's why it's taken a little bit of time to to get everything settled between between ben and uh, the efl but it's it's a happy ending essentially and you know thankfully these videos will be able to continue i think but just on an editorial point of view very quickly i, I think he is going to run out of of um sort of sort of content in terms of showing his hotel rooms I, th I can tell that he's already sort of getting a little bit bored by going all right here we are here's another hotel room yeah there's my snacks clearly there's blueberries and yogurt there every time now it's time for netflix and now i'm going to bed so he you know he's getting lots of different footage of all different sorts of things but it is quite interesting watching with all these games coming so thick and fast and how much time they're actually spending in in hotel rooms you know before home games and, and away games as well it's it's always quite tricky to keep them fresh but the games are doing that and the excitement's doing that. So let's keep it going. His excitement on when the game gets close is is palpable, isn't it? It's really Come obvious. on, the boys. Yeah. Come on, the, come on, the lads. Come on, lads. Come on, the lads. Yes, Isma. Yes, Isma. <laughs> Take one in the face. Take one in the face. Get ready. Get ready. Um, but I, I love how excited he is before the game. And, and I, yeah, I can't stress enough everything that Adam said there. And I think it is a conscious effort. He has sort of realised that fans aren't there. And I, I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that he's doing. And a rare uh, situation where uh, there's been an outbreak of common sense with the with the EFL. And all the various parties are, are set to benefit, not least of all um, us supporters. It's Because uh, I think it's it's good for Watford as well, because fans of other clubs are watching it. 
and to say, you know, he's getting plaudits and rightly so. And I, and I suspect has 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 been the case for for much of this season with Watford and Hornet Hive. I know we've been um, we've 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 given them credit for for it on the podcast plenty of times. But that combined with with what we're getting from Ben Foster, they really are doing their best between them to make sure that there is that link. And you know, Adam and I are lucky enough to go at the games, and we do feel it every time we're there. That God, it would have been brilliant without supporters and with sorry, it would have been, been brilliant without some supporters, probably me. Um, but um, <laughs> It's it's very very real that that the, the the break the lack of connection between supporters and and club and and I think what Watford are doing with their various initiatives Hornet Hive and and this from Ben is is, is fantastic and it does it does talk to a good spirit in the camp as well so, you know the, I love the the banter with Will Hughes who is sort of like grumpy the, Will Hughes yeah he's the me he's, he's the me <laughs> of the dressing room isn't he. Um, uh, I'm not quite as good at football as uh, uh, as Will Hughes, but love it, absolutely love it, and so so thrilled that it's uh, it's set to continue. Well done to all involved. A big announcement today, Adam. So from this weekend, Adam, we're going to have five substitutes, as so we can use five substitutes. Um, do you think though, that's going to be beneficial to Watford? Because the, the initial reaction is, yeah, we've got a great squad. We're going to get more players on, more rotation. I, I like the idea that some of these injured players are going to get more opportunities to get some minutes under their belt. But as a division, do you think it's really going to give us a massive advantage? I think it can give a certain advantage to you know sides that have bigger squads. Basically, what that made me feel when I heard it is that it fits in nicely with, with Vladimir Ivic's views on squads. And that is to keep everyone motivated and you know keep lots of pots boiling he looks at it as a 1 to 25 rather than you know just a first 11 so i think that this will actually be something that he is quite keen on and he was asked about it um after the the coventry game i think it was um and he was very very sort of clear in the fact that yes i i want to have five substitutes so i think that he is you know fully on board with it i think it means that he will be able to have lots of different options um it means that you don't have players feeling like they're on the outskirts as well you know you can have nine subs on the bench you've got 20 players there for for every game so you know everyone's in it together everyone's there they're they're not sitting up in the stands so yeah I think it's I think it's a good thing for Watford in in particular Uh, I I wonder how you know head coaches sometimes sort of prepare their options on the benches and is it going to get to the point where you're almost sort of muddling your mind a little bit by having too many options. It's a bit like kids at Christmas, isn't it? You know, try, what, what what present am I going to open? What present? Hopefully, it will be of benefit to to Watford. And yeah, if it if it gives us an advantage, then then great. And especially with the rotation and all these games coming thick and fast. Yeah, if if we're winning games and we're getting comfortable in games, rest players, keep them fresh, because we've got another game coming up in two days' time. So. Yeah, I think it's a good it's a good move and hopefully good for Watford. And without getting too too complicated about it, Watford have got an excellent 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 squad and so if we've got more ability to get more of those more choice and more choice to, to change the game, more choice to bring on fresh legs or, or change the dynamic, then it, it really should benefit Watford because a lot of people have been complaining about it coming into the Premier League because it benefits teams like Man City, Liverpool, uh, you know, Chelsea, these teams with really, really deep squads full of internationals and uh, and, and high, high, high-end performers. Well, Watford are kind of in that category in the in the Championship, so we ought to be happy that it's going to benefit from, from that point of view as well we don't need to be 
coy about it. We've got one of the best squads in the championship. Uh, if we've got more use to to use more of it, then 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 good. And perhaps it does take the pressure off a little bit of of some of those key performers. You know, Saar uh, and Pedro have been playing week in week out. Can they start on the on the bench? I don't know, uh, but I think. Largely speaking, it can only be positive, can't it? Lots of options, but, uh, at least. There is one other thing, John, as well. I think that it does have an impact on the January transfer window as well. That, you know, you can promise players or you can give players the feeling that they are going to get more of a chance. I think it really does squeeze opportunity in the January transfer window as well, because I think teams will be able to go, well, look, yeah, I, I know he's on the fringes, but, you know, we're nine, we're we're naming 20 players and we've only got... 25 in our squad we can't let players go yes there's going to be sort of ins and outs here and there in 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 January but I think that you know if if you want to keep a group together then this move will will make it less likely that players will will leave in January I think some clubs will actually have to go look we we can't fill our benches because they haven't got enough players but Watford won't be won't be in that situation so hopefully it does create opportunities for some people on on the fringes so I think it's good I love how you went straight to transfers Adam it's like it's a big thing on your mind and you just can't get rid of this even for a couple of weeks you know that the preparation's starting already it's it's going to be here before we know it and it's going to be it's it's only a month this time so you know Joy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for listening to From the Recruiting. We'll be back after every Watford game with a podcast. uh, And uh, we're here to sort of share our life of following Watford FC. Uh, My name has been John. Thank you very much, Michael. No worries. And before I go, just a big congratulations to uh, Ben Wilmot. Of course. course. He scored for the England under-21s. They beat Andorra 3-1 at Molyneux. Let's hope that Ben Wilmot is scoring for Watford at Molyneux in the Premier League this time next season. Thank you very much. (laughs) And thank you very much, Adam. I can't end it as tidily as Mike, so I'll just say goodbye and enjoy football being back. Yes, it's back on Saturday with an away trip to Loftus Road. Uh, A quiet Loftus Road, but it will still be Watford against Queen's Park Rangers. Thank you very much. Do follow us on social media at Watford Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Come on, you all!